22 chapters, Revelation. We're going to cover the first three today, and I'll leave for myself 19 for next week. Um, you know, I always struggled with the book of Revelation. It was a challenge. And even in Bible college, you know, you go through Christian theology, and then you get to the, the section on end times. But what happens with teachers, and I guess sometimes with preachers, is they spend too much time on the beginning part, and they don't have that much time for the end. And so they are always rushing through. So every, every Bible class you take, usually you get to the end, and they're rushing. And... Um, and I just remember, you know, in studying, I really wanted to hold conclusions that really flowed from God's word and not just say, hey, there's like 10 different views, which one do I like best? And so actually, um, it took me a long time to come to the place personally where I had a kind of a conclusion on what did I believe the book of Revelation was teaching. And here's one of the things that makes it challenging is Revelation obviously is very figurative. There are a lot of things that are just tough to figure out. And Revelation puts together many things that have been said in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And so to come to a really good conclusion, in a sense, you've got to read the whole Bible. And you've got to be able to tell the difference between what is something similar and what is the same thing. You know, one of the things that John said in, in the book of 1 John is he said, the Antichrist is coming, but many Antichrists are here. And so if you look at one of the Antichrists that are here and you say, oh, no, well, that's the Antichrist because Antichrist, the word is similar and it's used, you, you miss the fact that there are similar things that happen, but then there's this thing being spoken about that is going to happen. And so you could look at the book of Revelation and some of, the, um, some of the, the plagues and some of the things that are happening, and you say, well, you know, that's very similar to what happened in the exodus of Egypt. But the question is, is it the same thing or is it just similar? And, that's, and there are many things in the Bible that are like that. And so for me, um, it's so confusing. There's so many of these details. And I just took a step back, and I just thought, okay, there's 50 things here. There's 100 things here to be solved. Which are the ones that I can say, okay, I know this for sure. Based on what Scripture says here, of these 50, I know this is the right view for this. And then I know this is the right view for this. And take those things that you know for sure, and then say, of those things you know for sure, does that tell you which view is right or wrong? And that's kind of how I came to the conclusion that I have. And obviously... If it took me years to do, it's too much to talk about this morning. But one of the things that I want to do is I want to just, um, for us to know that there are things that we can know for sure, and there are also things that we go, I think it's this, and we hold that with a, with a loose hand. And there are other things that we say, at this point in my life, I have no idea what that's talking about. And I think that we, it's okay to be, I think, comfortable with that. And um, <clears throat> my little screen here disappeared, so that's not going to be good if we can't get that worked out. Um, can you go to the next slide while we see if this loads? Uh, this is, it makes me comfortable to be able to say, I don't fully understand that. Uh, Daniel's writing in the Old Testament. He's this man of wisdom, this man who interprets all these dreams, and he wrote about the same period that Revelation is discussing. And after writing about it, this is what Daniel says. He says, I heard, but I did not understand. 
So he's writing, and he says, I don't even understand this. And he says, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the end of time. And one of the things that's really cool is that from the time Daniel wrote until today, a lot of things have happened. More revelation has come. And we can make sense out of some of the things that Daniel didn't understand. But one of the things you learn about prophecy is a lot of times looking back, it's easier to figure out what those things meant than looking forward. However, we can look at um, how people in the Old Testament have related to prophecies and things that have been said would happen. And one of the things that Daniel does is Daniel is studying the book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah had said, hey, uh, there's going to be punishment on Israel for this period of time. And Daniel read it, and he's looking at it, and he's going, hey, the, the time's coming to an end. He adds up the years. And he says the time's coming to an end. And what happens? Well, at the time it was supposed to be over, it was over. And so there are things as we look at how prophecy happened and how people responded to the things that they were given, it teaches us something about how to approach the book of Revelation. So here's the thing for me as I approach these things in all of Scripture. I definitely want to know everything that God intends for me to know. And I want to put it into practice. And if there are some things that are kind of a mystery, I'm okay with that too. And so as we approach this study, uh, let's be people. And as we approach God's word, let's be sure about the things we can be sure about. Let's be humble about everything. But let's be humble about those things that are not necessarily as clear. So, um, you know, the three things that we're going to look at this morning is the first one is this. How many of you, uh, and you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you are driven to read the book of Revelation? Like I've met people, they just want to read it, and they read it. There's other people that are like, no, thank you. I don't want to read that. And I want you to know, and you'll be surprised when I say this, but you should read the book of Revelation. Um, there are blessings promised to people who read and listen to and heed the things in the book of Revelation. So I'm actually, I want to read some of it to you today because I would like a blessing. Uh, the second thing we're going to see here is that it is critical to see and to accept Jesus for who he is. To see him and to accept him as he presents himself. And the third thing is that the message to the churches, which is what we're going to look at in chapter 2 and 3 of Revelation, man, that is a powerful message that challenges us to be faithful and to live with right priorities. And we're going to see how what we know of Jesus impacts these churches. There's, there's a description in, in Revelation chapter 1 of Jesus. And then when they write the letters to the churches in chapter 2 and 3, each church begins by repeating something that he said about himself in chapter 1. And so we're going to look at this. We are going to actually read some of this. But if we go to the next slide, I would say this. This right here, uh, Romans chapter 2 verse 4 and 5, to me is a summary of the message of the book of Revelation. And by the way, these are wonderful special verses to me because they're the verses that Michelle read 
And in reading these verses, it's what brought her to Christ. Somebody had been sharing the gospel with her, and she was just reading through the Bible. And when she got here, God flipped the lights on. And I think that these verses are the message of the book of Revelation. And one of the things that we discover, and I told you guys this before, the main doctrines and themes in Scripture are not found on one page. They're not found in one verse. They are woven throughout Scripture. So let me read this verse. It says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. The, the message of the Bible is full of God's kindness. In fact, you're supposed to be kind to your enemies because God is kind to his enemies. But sometimes we miss the purpose of God's kindness. It's meant to lead us to repentance. It's not meant to make us say, oh, God, you don't matter. I don't really care what you say. You're kind to your enemies, and I like kindness, so I'll just be your enemy because you're kind to everyone. That was never the intention of God's kindness. God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. The fact that we know God loves us, it doesn't matter what we've done, we can be forgiven. No matter what is broken in our life, God can fix it. And that's meant to make us run to God instead of running away from him. But this verse goes on, and it says, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath. And the day of wrath, we're going to read about some of that in the book of Revelation. When God's righteous judgment will be revealed. See, there's many people, they only want to talk about God's love and forgiveness and righteous, his, his kindness, but they don't want to talk about his holiness, his wrath, and his judgment. But one of the things that we know is that God has not only told us about one side of himself. He's communicated to us everything about himself, and we are supposed to live in light of all of it, not just the parts that we want to pick and choose. And so if you have your Bibles, open up to Revelation chapter 1. I think one of the best things we can do is it's good, and when I was in theology and in class, I studied all these different views on end times, but what really helped me was when I just set that stuff aside and I just read the Bible and just said, what does this say? And so I want to do that this morning. I want to actually read some of Revelation. So we're going to read most of Revelation chapter 1. We're going to read one piece of Revelation chapter 2 and a little piece of Revelation chapter 3, depending on how I do on time. Um, so let's start in, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servant the things which must soon take place. And we read in 2 Peter that the day of, that, that uh, God is not slow about his promise to return as some count slowness, but he's patient, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Again, he's patient, he's kind, so we'll repent. And it says in 2 Peter, the day of the Lord, or uh, one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Not saying that they're the same thing, but they're similar in that they're short. 
And so these things are going to take place soon. And he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. And then this is verse 3. This is um, the next slide. This is verse 3. Blessings are pronounced on people who read the book of Revelation, who hear it, and who practice it. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written, for the time is near. So let's just think, why should we read the book of Revelation? Well, one reason is because it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. We should read it. Second thing is that God put in the Bible what we need to know. And the third thing is because there are special warnings for people to read and pay attention to what is in this book. Seven times in the book of Revelation, it's proclaimed there are blessings if you read this. And seven times in the first two chapters, actually I think it's that's more than seven times, but seven times, at least one for every church, it's a command, an instruction to listen and to hear. In fact, Revelation 2.7 says, he who has an ear. So if you have ears, that's everybody in here. He who has an ear. Now you got two ears, but if even if you had only one, you should use that one ear to listen. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's interesting. It's the Spirit. It's God's Holy Spirit who's communicating. This isn't something John made up. This is not something he came up with on his own. This is God communicating to us. And to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The next slide, we are warned to handle revelation faithfully. We need to be diligent and careful, and it's confusing, but we need to put some hard work into handling this book right. It's not like, hey, which view is it? Which one do I like? Oh, I'll pick that. No. Um, we need to be very careful with how we handle God's word. Look at what it says here, Revelation, Revelation 22. This is how the book ends. I warn everyone who hears the words of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. That's a pretty intense warning. And I'll say it's just a general description of Christians. God's not saying, oh, don't make a mistake. If you make a mistake, you go to hell. That's not what God is saying. But God is saying that people who are his children, people who have the Holy Spirit, he, people who love God, are going to be people of his word. And they're going to read his word carefully. They're going to be careful with it. They're not going to add things to it. They're not going to take things away. Uh, we need to handle God's word carefully. Let's go to um, chapter 1, verse 4. Um, it's a, we see that this book comes with a greeting from every member of the Trinity. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who was and who is and who is to come. That's talking about the eternity of God. That's a greeting from God the Father and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. I'll just tell you, that's the Holy Spirit, but why does it say there are seven spirits? 
And you've got to look back at the Old Testament, some other passages to, to try to figure out why would the Holy Spirit be described that way. We know there's not seven Holy Spirits. And so, but that is a reference to the Holy Spirit. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth. It right away starts talking about who Jesus is. And just one clue, we can't get into all the details, but one clue is you have a reference to God the Father, you have a reference to Jesus Christ. This greeting is coming from three. And so there is the seven spirits. So there's just a, like a little piece of context that would say, what gives me a clue as to what those seven spirits might be? And so there's more than that, but that's, that's a place to start. And then it says, it's a focus on the gospel message, verse 5. To him who loves us and who has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to God and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever. Amen. And then there's this discussion of the return of Christ. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. This is going to be a day of judgment, a day of terror, and that's in the coming part of the book of Revelation. Verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was and who is and who is to come, the Almighty. God in the book of Revelation, you see God is powerful, he is in charge, he does whatever he wants, and he is bringing history to its um, fulfillment. Verse 9, we find out a little bit about the person who wrote this, and this also tells us something about the date that Revelation was written. When you look at the book of Revelation, there's two main dates for it. One is like 48 and 50, and it's before the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem. And so some people will say, the temp, this all applies to something that happened in 70 AD. Another date for the book of Revelation is like 86 to 90 to 96. And if the book of Revelation was written then, we know it wasn't talking about the destruction of the temple, of, the temple in 70 AD. So if it was written before then, it could refer to either. If it was written after, it could not refer to the destruction of Jerusalem. And so it says here in verse 9, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the, and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on the count of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Now when you go back into early church history, what you find out is that between 85 and 96, there was a man ruling who used to exile people to the island of Patmos. And so that kind of fits with one of the dates. If you add to that that there are a couple guys that, were, that wrote very early in church history who said that was when the Apostle John wrote the book. And one of these gentlemen lived in like AD 135. This is like 40 years after this book would have been written. And he lived in one of the cities that this church was written to. So he's from an area that received this letter very close to the time that this book was written. And he says that's when it was written. There's a second man in church history who was discipled by a person that the apostle John discipled. And so in 2 Timothy, Paul's told, um, he tells Timothy, teach faithful men who will be able to teach others. So if John discipled a man who then discipled somebody else 
and you're looking at church history, and you're saying, whose word should we take? And you got these two people really early, really close to the time, who say John wrote it in the 90s from the island of Patmos. And then you got somebody else who 100, 200 years later says, I don't think it was written then, it was written somewhere else. Whose testimony are you going to take? And so for me, that's one of the things that I think it was written in, 90, like in the 90s. So then more is described here. In verse 10, it says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in the book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. This next slide shows a map <coughs> of these churches. Now, some people say that these weren't, this book, this letter wasn't written to seven specific churches. This is just like a general statement about church over time. And, but th so you think, is this just figurative or is it talking about seven real churches that existed? And so if you look here, Patmos is looking over um, at this area and there was a church in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. There's seven churches from that name that the apostle John ministered to. And it took, would take about two days to walk from one of these churches to the next. And so these were seven churches, seven messages to a very specific group of people living at a specific time. But 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation seized you except what's common to man. And God is faithful, won't let you be tempted beyond what you're able, but always provides a way of escape. But one of the things that we learn, and this is true of the New Testament and everything, people don't change. We all struggle with the same things. And so even though this book was written to a specific church, seven specific churches, there is application for every single one of us because we all go through the same things. There are the same types of things that happen in history. So here's the second thing. Let's be people who see and accept Jesus as he presents himself. Now this next slide here shows a verse and it says, this is from the um, Gospel of John. So the same John wrote this too. He says, now there also were many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So here's the point. Not everything about Jesus was written. Only the things that we need to know. So whatever it says in Revelation about Jesus, whatever Revelation tells us, we need to know that. Um, this next verse, the, the next slide, <clears throat> I'm speaking in code to the sound people. Um, the next verse is this, pretty powerful. It says, may, the, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Everything you need for life and everything you need to, for godliness has been granted by Jesus through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. It's through knowing Jesus, the true knowledge about Jesus, about his glory and his excellence, which is part of what's revealed in the book of Revelation we need to know these things. We need to embrace every part of them. So let's look down further. Look at verse 12, a description of Jesus. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands 
We'll come back to the lampstands. In the midst of a lampstands, one like a son of man, that's a reference to Ezekiel, talking about the Messiah, Jesus, clothed with, clothed with a, wrong, a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. Those are priestly garments. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. That's his holiness, his piercing judgment. It goes on, his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a service, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. Man, just the majesty, the power, the awesome holiness of Jesus. I read a story, of, um, one man shared a testimony of when Jesus appeared to him. And um, he was shaving. And you just wonder, if Jesus appeared to you, did, did you keep shaving? And you just think about how John sees Jesus, and we'll see later John's response. It actually helps, helps to put into context. People still tell stories about seeing Jesus, and you go, hmm, that doesn't really fit some of the things I've read in Scripture, but let's read on. And he held in his hand seven stars. We'll come back to those. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Now, here's the apostle John who spent three years with his best friend Jesus, called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, leaned onto his chest during the Last Supper. And this John sees his friend Jesus, and he falls on the ground like he's dead. That says something about Jesus' majesty, royalty, his holiness. And Jesus loves us, and he's our friend, and he's our brother, but he is a holy God. And so we see both of those things. His holiness would make us run away if it wasn't for his kindness, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And we need to put those things together. And he goes on, so then, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. So Jesus described himself as the one who has the keys to death and hell. And this is something that we're going to be seeing worked out in the book of Revelation. There is a day of judgment. There is a day of punishment. And this is a description of it. And we see that description of Jesus, which this is next week, lining everybody up and saying, your name wasn't written in the book of life, so you go into the lake of fire. And so we'll read it. We'll see that in Revelation. And then he goes on and he says, write, therefore, the things that you have seen and this is the outline for the book of Revelation. The things you've seen. This is the vision of Christ, chapter 1. The things that are, that's chapter 2 and chapter 3, the message to the churches. And those that are to take place after this, that's chapter 4 through 22, are the things that are still future. So when did all these things happen? Well, we can sit around and guess when we think these things happen. And I got this theory and you got that theory. Or we could just read what God said. And if it was written in 90 A.D., well, we know that they haven't happened yet. And then look at verse 20. And this is something that happens over and over in the book of Revelation. As you see this symbol, you might have no idea what to make of it, but then it's actually explained. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. 
So that's an explanation, but here's the, here's the thing. In that explanation, now we got another question because it's the seven angels of the seven churches. Well, what does that mean? Who are these angels? Is there an angel from each church that's being written to? And if you know in Greek, the word for angel is the word messenger. So it's the seven messengers of the churches. So some people would say, oh, these are angels. And others would say, no, these are the pastors of the churches. And I would say, they're the pastors of the churches. Because God wouldn't need to write a letter to an angel. Uh, so it's, it's a letter. It's given to this, 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 this messenger of the church. And so... These are the pastors, and so it's encouraging that the pastors of these churches are held in Jesus' right hand, that he gives them a message that they're supposed to deliver to the church. See, that's a pastor's job, not to make up his own stuff. pastor's job is to take the message that God's given through his word and deliver it faithfully. And so the, the seven stars are the seven angels. Those are the messengers. The lampstands are the churches. And let's move to the third section here. The message to these churches... There's a lot of things that may be challenging and confusing, but I'll just tell you this. You read chapter 2 and 3, and you just walk away with some certain things that stand out to you. And God is loving. He is holy. I need to be faithful to him. Here's a whole list of things that maybe I don't know exactly what they are, but I can kind of tell. False teaching, sexual immorality, um, unfaithfulness, um, materialism. It's like you kind of read these things, and whether or not you get all the details, those big things stand out. That's not what I should do being faithful, being willing to suffer, honoring the Lord, turning away from sin, that is what I should do. Uh, that's the message you come away with, even if you're confused about some of the details. So one of the things you see here over and over in this next two chapters is Jesus saying, I know. It says he was, in, you know, he turned and saw Jesus in the midst of the, the lampstands. Jesus is in the church. He's omnipresent. He's here. And we remember when Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And in uh, Hebrews 13, and, and, it, and when Jesus says in Matthew, when he gives the church the marching orders, and he says, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now you think about that. Jesus is here. He is in the church, which is not a building. It's the body of Christ. So how does that motivate us to live holy and faithfully? To obey God, knowing wherever you go, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, Jesus is there and he knows. When, when people are suffering and they're being persecuted, Jesus says, I know. When people are in sin, Jesus says, I know. And that's one of the things that just stands out. Jesus is there and he knows. Repeated eight times in these two. Jesus says, here's where you're doing well, but I have this against you. Repeated five times, but I have this against you, but I have this against you, and I just want you to know we don't want to be people that Jesus is saying, and I have this against you. But what I love is that's always followed up with repent. It's never I have this against you, and I'm against you, and it's final. It's I have this against you, repent, come back to me. God is kind. He's always inviting us back. He says, hear nine times, listen, think, pay attention, and hear, be faithful to the end. It's, it's our job to hold on to the end. And, and I'll just tell you, you read the book of Revelation, you read the things that happen, and you think to yourself, if that was me living in that day and time, would I be able to be faithful to the end? And that's where I always go back to the last two verses of Jude, the book right before the verses behind us. We really need the last two verses of Jude as we head into Revelation, 
Those last two verses of Jude say, now to him who's able to keep you, who's able to keep you from standing, from stumbling, and to make you stand in God's presence, blameless with great joy. I read the book of Revelation to say, well, I'll I'll let you in a little secret. I'm not going to be there. And if you're a believer, you're not going to be there either. But if I was there, God would get me through it. One of the things you also learn is that persecution and trials and difficulty, some of the things described in Revelation are not only for Revelation. There's a lot of people in this day, in this time right now, who are facing persecution. And if that day ever comes in my life or ever comes to us, it's Jesus that gets us through it. So let's look at uh, the, um, the next slide here. Uh, I don't know if you can read that. I remade this slide this morning to make it better, and I'm not sure it is better, but there's the seven churches. Now, I just want to point out the, the yellow, what's showing up is yellow on that. Those are the churches where Jesus says you're doing this well and you're doing this poorly. You're doing this well, you're doing this poorly. The blue churches, there's two of them. Jesus just says you're doing this well. There's nothing that they're doing poorly. And the red church is the one that has nothing positive, just negative. And so we're going to read, if we have time, the first blue church and the red church. So let's look at this. This is the shortest message in in the second one, uh, Smyrna, um, chapter 2, verse 8 through 11. They were in tribulation. They were being persecuted. They were poor. They were suffering. But he says, you have great spiritual riches. That's what it says. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, the words of the last who died and who came to life, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich And the slander of those who say that they're Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So people claiming to be followers of God are actually slandering and persecuting this church. And then he says this in verse 10, and this may not be that comforting to you. I know when I read this, this isn't what I want to read next. This is a faithful church. Jesus only has positive things to say to them He says, verse 10, do not fear what you are about to suffer. He doesn't say, hey, don't worry, you're not going to suffer. I'm going to make it all okay. He says to them, don't fear what you are about to suffer. suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. And then get this, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Do you remember when Jesus said, don't fear those who kill the body, but rather fear him who can, cure, uh, who can kill the body and soul in hell? That's the one we're supposed to fear as God. And Jesus looks at this faithful church. He says, you're about to suffer. Satan's coming after you. Stay faithful to the very end, and I'll give you the crown of life. See, God's God's deliverance for us is not always in this life. Sometimes it's in the next. And this is one of those things that helps us put our life in perspective. I just think a lot of times as believers, we don't want to suffer, right? And then I just think, um, when, I be, <laughs> when I read the book of Revelation, and then I think about suffering, it's like, oh, somebody said I was an idiot. Somebody didn't like me. Uh, somebody said I was judgmental. 
And, and we just think about the kind of suffering we go through, but he's saying you're about to have tribulation. Be faithful until you die. And I just want you to know we can read the book of Job and see sometimes good, godly, faithful, righteous people suffer. We can read the news and see these good, faithful believers who have been kidnapped and they sometimes end up beheaded even though there are thousands of people praying for their release and God says no. And that's one of the things that you see in this is that we serve God, we go where he tells us to go, we do what he tells us to do, and there is nothing. In fact, think about God's call to be a Christian. He says, if anybody wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. And everybody was about to watch Jesus be crucified. We, we think of the cross as kind of this fun religious symbol. No, that's just Jesus saying, you want to follow me, you've got to be willing to die for me. You've got to love me more than your mother, brother, father, sisters, and even more than your own life. And so this message here in Revelation, it's not like, oh, wow, that's the first time I've heard that. That is throughout Scripture. And sometimes we forget what God's calling us to and what a privilege it is to be faithful and to serve him. But this is a poor church. And then it says in verse 11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The death we're concerned with is not what happens in this life, but it's what happens when we stand before God. It's where our eternity is. And as we approach people, as we think about our kids, as we think about evangelism, what's on my, our mind is not this life, it's the next. And that kind of creates an urgency to reaching people. And that's one of the things I think about is sometimes in church, we lose sight of what's critical, and, and you, you think about the conflicts, the difficulties, the criticisms that people have for each other, and the things that are challenging, the kinds of things that we fight over. And you read the book of Revelation, and you realize, that's ridiculous. This is a brother in Christ, and maybe they did something to offend me, but who cares? I forgive you. I love you. Let's get to the task, because there's important things. That, and I don't want you to be discouraged when you go to work and when you've got to share the gospel and when you're involved in people's lives. I don't want you discouraged. I don't want you to be distracted by whether or not you and I have a good relationship, so we're okay. Let's get back to the task. And we appreciate the people that God's put in the church because he's doing something with them and he's using them in our life. And we need their encouragement. We need their help to do what God wants us to do. And let's read the next one. So that's a church that's faithful but gets this tough message. And let's skip over to Laodicea. So this church is poor. They're suffering, but they're spiritually rich. And now we get to the church that's materially blessed, but spiritually poor. Let's read that. <clears throat> and to the angel of the church of Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. That's what Jesus says about himself. I know your works. See, he knew their suffering, but he knows these people's works that you are neither hot nor cold. In other words, you're like, you don't say you hate me and you don't really show that you love me. You're just kind of in the middle. Oh, what's the big deal? Oh, yeah, God says that. I like that part. Uh, I'll take that. Oh, he says this. Nah, I don't like that part. I disregard that part. 
just lukewarm, kind of going through life, not really passionate. It's what Jesus says. I wish that you were hot or cold, verse 16. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich and I've prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. They mistook their temporal blessings for God's spiritual favor. But here's the cool thing. So that's a pretty powerful, hard message. But you want to know what Jesus' statement to them is? So come to me. Come back to me. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich in white garments so you may clothe yourself with the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. That's their problem is they were spiritually blind. And he's saying, I want you to be able to spiritually see those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Have we ever read that somewhere? I think I read that before. I think I read that in Hebrews 12 it says that. I think there's a lot of other places it says that. So be zealous, energetic, passionate, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So you see this awesome, powerful God who's a God of wrath and judgment and holiness. And when you sin, that's scary. And some people want to run away from God because they're sinning. But that's not the message of the gospel. If you're sinful, if you're separated from God, if you've got problems in your life, run to God. Because he's made a way for you to be given, forgiven. He's made a way for you to be saved. And if you repent, he will come in and sit with you and eat with you. That open door to a relationship. And so many times we don't want to tell people about God's holiness. But when we don't tell people about God's holiness, just judgment, wrath, when we don't tell them about that, they're lukewarm. And ah, yeah, who cares? Yeah, God's nice. Yeah, Jesus, he's just nice. He loves everyone. And, and then people miss if you are a believer and you are walking in sin, you will be disciplined by God. And, and I see some people, you got these two people raised in church, they both prayed to receive Christ. One's wandering away and living a sin, they both wander away and live a sinful life. In one person, everything they touch is just fine. The other person, everything they touch just is destroyed. It's like no matter where they turn, things go wrong in their life. And I always look back at that and I say, this person wandering away from God and everything in their life is good? Probably not a believer. I don't see God's hand of discipline in their life. This other person prayed to receive Christ. They're living a sinful life, but they get fired for their job. They're getting in car accidents. They're getting in sick. Everything they do just goes wrong. That's probably a believer and God is chastening them and disciplining them to bring them back. And one of the things, like, those are general principles, but we've got to be careful not to be judgmental in that way toward people because you don't always see what God is doing in a person's heart and life. And so it may look from the outside like everything's going okay, but inside God may be disciplining them in ways we don't know. But there's this invitation to come back. And then look at verse 21. And the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit on my throne. I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so, my friends, that's 
chapter 1 through 3 of the book of Revelation. It's a powerful message. It's one that a lot of people don't want to hear. And just as far as the judgment wrath part, um, this is a message to people in our church day, the part that I, that I just covered. But God's wrath really being poured on the earth, this time of trial, of tribulation, um, that's coming in chapter 4 through 19. And one of the things that you see in 4 through 19 there's a lot of people today, oh, I don't believe in God. I don't think he's there. There's nobody saying that in chapter 4 through 19. God is showing himself clearly. And I just want you to know, he's showing himself fully as he is. There are people who take God for granted today. But if you're on the earth during the tribulation period, you will not be taking God for granted. But let me not start next week's sermon. Let's wrap this up here. When we read this book, it fills us with a sense of awe and reverence for Christ. It will fill us with a sense of urgency to evangelize the lost. It will motivate us to live a godly, faithful life today. And it gives us confidence about the future because we know God's got it all under control. He's taken care of it all. We see how the story ends. And so Revelation is an amazing book. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for your kindness. Thank you for giving us this book. Help us to be people who live with awe and reverence for you, who, who accept you as you are, who proclaim your message of love and grace and forgiveness in the context of your holiness and your royalty. And Lord, the fact that you are the king of all kings. And God, I pray that, that we would live a life of reverence, but not a life that makes us run away from you when things go wrong in life, but that we would live in a way that when we blow it, when we fail, we run back to you knowing that you forgive us over and over. You love us. You gave your life to save us. Help us to be merciful and gracious and compassionate and caring toward others the way you are for us and the way you are toward them. In your name, amen.